great video and good reminder of the gift that God's given us at Fellowship Baptist Church in our pastor, and it really does set up the truth of the text and reveals the heart of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church of Thessalonica. The subject, the title of the message tonight, as I have announced, is the pastor and his people. I'd like to preface this message with a few statements, if you'll allow me to, before we get into the text. I would start by saying this, that Fellowship Baptist Church has and is thriving in their relationship to their pastor and pastoral staff. I believe that Brother Landis did a fine job at developing this culture of appreciation and honor, starting with the deacons and the leadership on down. Um, For the man of God in Fellowship Baptist Church, it's continued through the length of my dad's tenure as as pastor. And because this is an area in which I feel like the fellowship family thrives, I want you to know that that in my heart, and I hope it it comes out in my tone, that this message is, is simply a reminder. It's not a rebuke. It's not corrective in nature. It's not a subtle hint to our deacons. They've done amazing. And this is really one of the reasons why I don't hesitate to preach a message like this. Because I personally, as the pastor's son, and now on pastoral staff for 14 years, I've seen the Lord bless Fellowship Baptist Church over and over and over as as you have put to practice the principles of this text and you've demonstrated honor to your pastor. And so for me to shy away from preaching a text like this would be to rob this church of the continued blessings that will come as you bless the man of God. And so I won't shy away from this, even though in in the pulpit it can be a little bit uncomfortable. I will say this too, if you have any questions, and I mean this, any concerns upon hearing the message tonight, I am am definitely open to speaking to those uh, and, and hearing those in a private setting. But I want you to know that in preparation, in prayer, and in putting this on paper tonight, that, that my heart is to not just be clear for the sake of being understood, but so clear tonight that I'm not misunderstood. And so I hope that you'll listen with an open heart and an open mind, not one of skepticism. I want to get into our text. It's just two verses, and then we'll get into the sermon tonight. Verse number 12 of 1 Thessalonians 5. And we beseech you, brethren, so he's talking to the lay people of the church, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. I believe God has woven into the very fabric of life the need to have leaders. From marriages to sports teams to corporations to churches, I believe that leadership is essential and without it marriages suffer and sports teams lose and corporations flounder and churches fail. I believe with all my heart That leadership is God's plan to make every area of life better. And if ever a group of people needed strong leadership, it was the Thessalonians. 
They were facing persecutions from without. They were searching for answers within. They needed guidance. And since Paul knew that he wouldn't always be there to answer their questions or to calm their anxieties, he urges this church to follow the leadership of the pastoral team that apparently he had already appointed. Paul reminds them that a healthy relationship between a pastor and people is essential for the church to thrive in its work and to accomplish its mission. If they wanted to continue to be a thriving church, they would need to understand, number one, the pastor's role to his people, and number two, the people's role and responsibility to their pastor. With that being said, I want to jump right into it because Paul starts by highlighting the responsibilities of the pastor. And here's the reason why I want to preach to you about the responsibilities of the pastor uh, from the get-go. It's not because I'm speaking to a bunch of pastors and you need to learn how to pastor right. It's so that we can be reminded in light of our pastor's anniversary today and his transition Sunday out of the pastorate in August of the amazing privilege we've had to have a pastor that has fulfilled his God-given role and responsibilities and, and call to our church, not perfectly, but well. Notice first that the pastor should work. Look at verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Now I know some of you think we only work once a week. I promise our pastor labors more than that. The word labor in the Greek means to exert energy to the point of weariness and fatigue. This is exactly the same word that Paul used in chapter 2 when he described to the Thessalonian church all the labor and travail, he said, that he put forth to plant this church and to disciple this church for the three plus weeks that he was there before he got ran out of town. He said, I didn't just give you my time. He said, I gave you my soul. He worked for them to the point of exhaustion. I'm thankful that like Paul, Fellowship Baptist Church is a pastor that, that, that is willing to work even to the point of exhaustion. A pastor who has put in the work to write meaningful sermons every week. The average sermon is probably somewhere around 3,000 words long. And to write two or three of those sermons every week and to do so accurately and clearly and creatively takes an enormous amount of labor. But writing sermons isn't his only job. He's not just a preacher. He's a shepherd. And that requires work and energy as well. You don't need to show any sympathy to pastors for this, but here's the truth. They don't have a nine-to-five schedule. A pastor's always on call, ready to minister to his flock whenever and for whatever they need. That may include a long texting conversation with a worried parent. It may include a, a late night phone call from a member whose spouse just walked out on him. It may include a four hour drive to stand alongside the hospital bed of a church member who's about to have a very serious surgery. It may require multiple counseling sessions that extend well beyond office hours. Being a shepherd takes labor. But the pastor is also an administrator. And a church our size, we are blessed to have a staff, and the administrative duties can be delegated to secretaries and 
and staff members and should be, but you do understand that the buck still stops with a pastor in every area of ministry. That's member care, that's finances, that's leading a staff, that's directing deacons, that's supporting missionaries and starting churches and and improving facilities and community outreach and much more. The pastor doesn't have to do it all and he shouldn't, but he still has to administrate and give oversight to a large degree. I'm here to tell you I'm thankful that God has given Fellowship Baptist Church a pastor that whether it be writing a sermon or answering a phone call or administrating a meeting or overseeing a church plan or conducting a 70,000 square foot building program isn't afraid to work. We notice in verse 12 also the pastor should lead. He said, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. When Paul speaks of a pastor's leadership in the sense that he is over you, don't let that scare you or turn you off. He's not referring to pastoral leadership in a dictatorial manner. I like what one commentator said about this phrase. It helps us to understand the heart of the Apostle Paul. He said, this position of authority is not to be performed in a dictatorial or sinful way, but the pastors are over the rest of the believers. Watch this prepositional phrase, in the Lord. Their authority can be exercised only in so far as the Lord has given them authority to act. Church leaders are not autonomous sovereigns, but represent Jesus' authority. They are commissioned by Christ to carry out their oversight of the flock according to His will and not their own. God has given us a pastor, I believe, that is led with this kind of spirit. Specifically in the areas of directing and protecting. When I speak of directing, he has pointed us in the right direction. He has set a vision for Fellowship Baptist Church, and he has led us to fulfill that vision. Perhaps the the greatest demonstration of clear direction that our pastor has given in my time here as a staff member has been the days of our relocation from 216 Wilson to 310 Pancake. I witnessed him providing direction in all kinds of ways. It started by collecting the funds for the project to helping design the blueprints for the building, to guiding the church through the obstacles we faced during the project, then to managing difficult people and making difficult decisions during the project. And this is just one example of our pastor's ability to give direction. But I've watched him as Fellowship Baptist Church needed a leader. I've watched him step up and give the leadership. He hadn't just directed, he's protected. He's protected this flock from false teaching and false doctrine. He's protected this flock from discord and disunity. He's fought to protect this flock from impurity and unholy behavior. He's fought to protect this flock from complacency and mediocrity. And he's done that through things like conservative policies and bold sermons and even uncomfortable meetings and strong accountability. That's leadership. Thirdly, Paul says the pastor should preach. Look at the end of verse 12. He says, and are over you in the Lord, and watch the last phrase, and admonish you. That word admonish means to warn. It's usually used when when it's talking about correcting sinful behavior, and mostly it's used in the context of teaching and preaching the Word of God. When you look and study the word preach in the New Testament, you'll find that it's used more than 60 times. It points to the responsibility a, a herald has to announce a king's message, which was common in that day. And because the message comes directly from the king himself, the herald is expected to proclaim the message as given 
Listen, church, God-called men have a God-given mandate to proclaim His message. They must have the courage to confront sin and correct behavior. That's called admonishment. And they must proclaim the truth in the same manner that God gave it to them in His Word. And that's a big deal because in churches all around, there are preachers who tiptoe around the tithers and dance around the deacons. For one, I'm glad at Fellowship Baptist Church that we don't have to dance around the deacons. They say amen, they encourage, and they like straightforward Bible preaching. I'm thankful that at Fellowship we've had a pastor who has stood behind this sacred desk and without apology has preached, Thus saith the Lord. Whether it was comfortable or not, whether it was popular or not, whether it was widely accepted or not, and may it always be said, that preachers who stand behind this sacred desk will preach this book. Admonishment. So the pastor's responsibilities to his people are clear in the text. He should work, he should lead, and he should preach. And I'm thankful we've had a preacher and a pastor that have done all those things. But this passage written by the Apostle Paul wasn't written even primarily to instruct the church on the duties of a good pastor. It's good to be reminded. The primary purpose was to remind who Paul called the brethren, the lay people of the church, that they have a God-given responsibility to honor and take care of a pastor that does what he's called to do. I think I've made the case, I think you've agreed that our pastor has done his best at doing what God's called him to do. We have a responsibility now. And let's be honest, church, as people, just as people, as human beings, we naturally, and I will say this, unintentionally, have a tendency to drift away from gratitude and forget to appreciate the investment that pastors make in our lives. That's why Paul wrote about this issue, because God's people simply need a reminder. And our church, as good as it is in this area, and you are, it still isn't exempt from needing that reminder. If there's anything we've learned over the last two months of this pandemic, it's that we have a tendency to forget how blessed we are as a church. So if we're to do our, our part to respond to the spiritual leadership of a good pastor, Paul's going to give us three commands for how we should honor a pastor for a job well done. First, the people should respect his leadership. Look at verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, watch here, to know them, which labor among you, to know them which are over you in the Lord, to know them that admonish you. That word know isn't as simple as you might think it is. It doesn't just mean that you know, pastor, that you're acquainted with him, you know his name, you know his wife's name, you know where he lives. No, it actually means to reverence, to respect, to acknowledge his authority and leadership in your spiritual life. And everyone has been in a situation, have you not, where people didn't acknowledge the leader and their authority appropriately. It happens all the time, teenagers, when a substitute teacher is teaching. Students often fail to acknowledge and respect the substitute teacher's leadership. It happens when an unruly teenager fails to respect the leadership of a step-parent. It happens when a criminal fails to respect the leadership of a law enforcement officer. And yes, it happens when a church member fails to respect the leadership of their pastor. Howard Marshall says it this way, 
Respect should be given to the pastor, not because of any qualities which they possess due to birth or social status or natural gifts, but only on the basis of the spiritual task to which they are called. The first and primary reason, church, that we are to respect the leadership of our pastor is not because of the man himself, but because of the position and the calling that he's been given by our God. I want to be careful to say this, that, that a pastor, ours included, is no better than his people. A pastor has no right to abuse or take advantage of his position by lording over God's people. According to the book of Peter, that's wicked and that disqualifies him from the calling of the pastor. But at the end of the day, the lay people of the church should understand and should acknowledge that God has placed a pastor in the position of spiritual leadership in their life, and they should humbly submit to and respect that pastor's leadership. As the author of Hebrews states, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit to them. Why? For they watch for your souls. To respect our pastor's leadership is to support him. It's to get behind him. It's to do what Paul said in other epistles, to follow him as he follows Christ. By no means is our respect of his position to usurp our loyalty to the Lord or to Scripture. But hear me well, lay people would, would do well to lay aside their personal preferences and wishes to submit to and, the res and to respect the direction that the pastor is taking them and the church so long as that direction doesn't violate the clear teaching of Scripture or their God-given conscience. There are going to be decisions, and you know this, that a pastor makes in his efforts to lead a church that will not be agreed on by everyone. And perhaps when that happens, that is the greatest test of your respect for the God-given spiritual leaders in your life. How you react when you disagree. I'm obviously not talking about disagreement and key tenets of our faith and doctrine. I'm talking about less consequential decisions of policy and procedure. As I look into the transition post-August, I want you to understand that my dad and I are a lot alike in overall ministry philosophy and, and certainly on key doctrines that we hold to. And believe and preach. But we are still two different people. With two different personalities. And different preferences. And different preaching styles. And different leadership styles. And it's not that one's right and one's wrong. We're just different human beings. And there might be some things that I do that he didn't do. Or there might be some things that, that I choose not to do that he did. Or there might be some things that we do. We just do them different. And I, and I hope that every decision I make on the behalf of Fellowship Baptist Church will only be a decision that follows diligent prayer and humbly seeking counsel. That's my responsibility to lead you wisely. But at the end of the day, God's people have a responsibility to the pastor to respect his leadership, even if it's different from how they would lead themselves. The people, secondly, should honor his work. Look at verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That word esteem simply means to honor. And Paul says that we are to honor our pastor in two ways. Very highly and also in love. What does he mean by very highly? I'll tell you what he means. He means this, above measure. You go study it yourself. I'm not making up terms. 
I'm not studying from my own personalized Greek dictionary. It means extravagantly. These are synonyms. Generously. Paul uses the same idea, but he uses this language in the book of Timothy. Double honor. And, and, and he mentioned that as he was instructing the, Timothy to teach the church he was over. Because he wanted them to demonstrate double honor, extravagant honor, generous honor, very high honor to the pastor. He says this in Timothy, who labors in the preaching and teaching of the word of God. That's what very highly means. Now, I'm not making this up. You're seeing it. And then he says, in love. What does he mean by that? That your, your generosity extravagance and honor towards the pastor should not be motivated by anything other than your love for God and your love for God's man. So then the question is this, how do you demonstrate your honor for your pastor both lovingly and very highly? I want to give you some practical suggestions. Pray for him. There is not a way in which you can honor your pastor more than to take he and his family to the throne of God every day. Do you have your pastor on your prayer list? If you don't, would you put his name on your prayer list? Would you put his wife's name on your prayer list? Would you put his kid's name on your prayer list? Would you put his grandkids' names? Why? You're honoring him. I'm just giving you a suggestion. Very highly, Paul says. Pray that God would give him good health. Pray that God would give him spiritual vitality. Pray that God would protect him from temptation. Pray that God would give him a good marriage. Pray for his children. I'll give you another way you can highly honor him. Encourage him. Seems simple, but it's powerful. Write him a note. Give him a small gift. Shoot him a text message. Give him a phone call. Take him out to lunch. Shake his hand, pat him on the back, tell him good message, or say amen really loud while he's preaching. Amen. Here's another one, love on his family. Please don't forget that with the pastor comes a wife. And usually with the wife comes children. And you've got to remember that they are ever more as called as the pastor is. The pastor's wife plays a vital role in the congregation of a church. The pastor's kids are not special to God. Any more special than your kids is what I meant by that. Um, God doesn't favor them in any way. Um, PKs deserve no sympathy at all. But they are part of the pastor's family. And if you want to highly honor your pastor, you know one way to do it. Is to encourage his kids. And love on his wife. You could skip the pastor altogether. If you take good care of his wife and his kids, it keeps them going. Just being honest with you. I'll give you another practical suggestion. Allow them to rest. This may sound strange because some people don't think the pastor's human. So he can go 100% all the time and he needs to suck it up because he only works on Sundays. That's just not the case. I don't expect you to understand it fully, but pastoring is incredibly taxing emotionally and mentally, and it's vital, it's vital to the health of this church that you, one, allow, and two, expect your pastor to take breaks for the purpose of a rest. And then do this, compensate him. Fellowship Baptist Church, led by its deacons, has done a fine job at compensating its pastor, and that's not said everywhere. 
I know situations in which some churches and deacon boards out there are convinced that it's their God-given job to keep the pastor humble by starving him. And they are blocking God's blessing in some way on their church because of it. Paul doesn't shy away. This is another message for another time and I'll preach it. Paul doesn't shy away in other epistles specifically commanding the compensation of a pastor. He never gives an amount, but he gives a principle. And it's a devil honor principle. I'll preach that later. But it makes complete sense in the context of how he's writing. And, and the whole purpose is not to make the pastor rich, not so he can, he can, he can you know, drive the fanciest car and have a private jet. And, and I know when we talk about compensation for pastors, some people have a really sour taste in their mouth because they've seen this abused. They've seen this taken advantage of. They've seen some pastors literally who own a private jet and other things live in these, these luxurious houses. I'm, I'm talking luxurious in, in every sense of the word, over the top extravagant. And so people are like, aren't they men of God? And, and, and so, so, so they get skeptical when we talk about this. But I'm just telling you, the Apostle Paul didn't shy away from it. And I'm thankful to say this church hasn't either. So then the question is this, why do all these things? I mean, that's a lofty list for a man. Why highly honor the pastor? Well, Paul tells us, for his work's sake. But what does he mean? Well, we pray, watch here, we encourage, we love on his family, we allow him to rest, we give to him generously. Why? Because of his work in the ministry for our sake. Because of the spiritual investment he's made in our life. Which leads me to say this, how you honor your pastor is a direct reflection of how much you recognize, respect, and appreciate the spiritual investment he's made in your life through his labor, his leadership, and his preaching. On the weekend of July 31st through August the 2nd, you'll be given a very practical and tangible opportunity to highly honor your pastor in love for his work's sake. Let me tell you what you can expect on transition week, and it'll begin on Friday night with my ordination. On Saturday night, it'll continue with a tribute concert for Pastor and my mom um, by two really good friends of theirs, Jim and Melissa Brady, have been here twice before. You know that Pastor loves his concerts. He loves sitting on the front row and leading the way, and he loves Southern gospel music, and, and this excites him, and Jim and Melissa are super excited to be here, and it would be great if, if even Southern gospel wasn't your cup of tea, that you'd come and drink from that cup of tea just to honor your pastor on Saturday night. And I, I promise you, you won't walk away saying, no, I wish I wouldn't have went to that. I, I'm 99% positive you'll say, you know what, I'm glad I went to that. And you might not buy a CD on your way out, but you'll be blessed. And, 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 and God will speak to your heart. And, and it really is a tribute concert. That's the point of it. I hope you'll be there for that. Then on Sunday morning, that begins transition Sunday. We're going to have one service that morning. No Sunday school. One service beginning at 10 o'clock. We're going to pray for our children's workers and nursery workers that day extra hard because it'll be a two-hour service. Uh, Brother Mike is putting together two incredible tribute vid videos, one for my mom, one for my dad. Um, I I've, I've read the storyboard for, for my dad's tribute video where Brother Mike is, is, is putting a ton of work into this. In fact, he's flying out to Arizona just to video... Uh, video interview a couple people from our church plant, and it, it's a big deal. He's driving to Oklahoma City to interview Miss Landis and Brother Nelson and, and others. He's putting a ton of work into this, and uh, several of you that have been key in my dad's life. 
this is going to be a great video. He's already filmed a lot of things from, from the ladies of our church for my mom. Two really, really good videos. The choir will be singing several of Pastor's favorite songs. And then we'll be surprising as a church, uh, Pastor and, and my mom with several really nice gifts, very personal uh, gifts from the church. And uh, you'll be involved in one of those, um, and we'll let you know that closer to time. And then, most importantly, we'll be able to hear Pastor preach his last message as the lead pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. And uh, that's kind of, uh, it's, it's bittersweet, I think, to all of us. Um, but I, I hope that it will be cause for celebration and recognition and honor. And then moving into that night at 5.30, we're going to have a fully catered dinner uh, for the entire church uh, in the fellowship hall. And it, while in the fellowship hall eating, you'll be able to watch a surprise video um, from pastors all over the country that are sending their videos into Brother Mike, congratulating Pastor and my mom for their 39 years of faithful ministry. That'll mean a ton um, to our pastor. And uh, believe it or not, I, and I know I don't expect you to understand the scope of his ministry, but God has enlarged his coast, and he is influential literally from east to west. It's amazing. Our little church, um, it's it just amazing what God's done, and, and, and there will be a lot of pastors that want to speak into him, and we're going to give him that chance. Then we're going to have several with us on that day. A lot of past staff members will be here. The Linder family will be here. The King family will be here. The Vought family will be here. The Gabbard family, I want many of you have never met our missionaries to New Zealand. They'll be here. Many of you know them. You'll be able to see them again. Many of them will be given testimonies during that Sunday evening service. And that's going to be very, very enjoyable. And then Brother Jeff Copes, who is the Executive Vice President of Heartland Baptist Bible College, will be here on Sunday night uh, to give my dad a plaque uh, from the college, recognizing and honoring him for his 12 years of serving as an Executive Board member. Uh, for the college, and that's going to be very special to my dad. That'll be a surprise, and a lot of this will be a surprise, so if you would keep it off Facebook, I'd appreciate that, which would be really hard for some of you, so be very, just, just go ahead and discontinue your Facebook account, um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll end the night with preaching a short message uh, here, a and then um, there will be a table set up um, somewhere in the general area of the Fellowship Hall of the Foyer, where when you come for the catered meal at 530, um, you will be able to drop off um, a card and then your contribution to the I Love My Pastor offering. Um, let me talk about this for just a moment. Um, I'd like you to do two things in preparation for this offering. Uh, number one, I'd like you to take time to sit down and really write out your thoughts on paper. Um, and and what, what I'm asking for, what I'm burdened for, is that you don't just go to Dylan's, buy the nicest card they have about a pastor, and then sign, love blank, blank, family. It would mean the world uh, to my parents if, if, if you would sit down for, for a little bit and get very specific about how God has used them in your life. That would mean the world to them. More than any offering you could ever give, um, it would mean the world to them if you would articulate what they mean to you and the difference they've made in your life. And then for the offering part, I, I really want you to seek the Lord on what he would have you to give. And, and, and you might think, why? Why are we, we doing, you know, no, an offering like this? Well, I believe that love is tangible. I believe love is practical. Apparently you don't believe that, but I believe that. And so what does that mean? That means that love is more than saying I love you. Love is more than just they know and you love them. Love is physical. It's tangible. It's practical. 
And money is tangible. And money is visible. And money is practical. And Paul, again, doesn't shy away from, from telling the church that one of the ways to highly honor their pastor is by way of money. Don't let that scare you. That should be an honor for you. That should be an honor for me. And so when you come by, just, just include your offering, whatever God would lay on your heart. I hope that it would be more than a $10 gift card to Freddy's. I hope that it would be something that you sacrifice for. Just like if it would be I love my church offering. You understand that, that when we had I love my church offering two years ago, we made $50,000 in a one-time offering. Well, we can give $50,000 faster. I don't know. Why not? That's my question. Why not? And let me say this, we're not doing that because he needs it. I'll be sharing with the deacons uh, in, in the next couple of weeks our plan to transition my dad and, and to take good care of him and honor him in that way. Our church will continue to do that. I'll, I, will, I will then share it with the church. Um, but there, there, there is nothing about us that this is like a, a safety net for my dad. This is a way where he can transition into retirement, so we better get him as much as we can, and church better dig deep because he's got to have this to eat. It's not that. It's not that. We don't have to do this. He doesn't need this. Church has taken great care of him, and we'll continue to do that by way of honoring him. But listen, this is our way to say thank you. It's our way to say thank you. And as much as I can without coming across like I'm, I'm, I'm and Lord knows my spirit, I don't want to manipulate or, or manufacture anything. I just want you to get my burden that, that, that I want him, I want our offering and our words both and that entire weekend to reflect how thankful we are for his spiritual investment into our church. That's my heart. And then let me close by giving you one more responsibility that people have towards the pastor, and that's to pursue peace with him. So, so we're to respect his leadership, and we're to honor his work, and then we're to pursue peace with him. Look at the last phrase of verse 13, and I'll be done. And be at peace among yourselves. Why would Paul include that in there? At first it seems unattached, and it seems that he's just offering a side phrase. Oh, and get along, by the way. Get along with each other. But he's not talking about people to people. He's talking about people to pastor in this context. And it makes sense that he would, he would put this in there. Because if the devil wants to put a wedge in any relationship in a Christian's life, it's the wedge between them and their pastor. You know why? Because that is the first step to leaving the church. First step. You see, it takes a while. But, but when there's a wedge driven between a pastor and his people, and it's not settled correctly and appropriately, then on down the line, something else happens and something else happens and people leave the church and it's because there was a wedge driven between their relationship and they didn't deal with it appropriately. And Paul is admonishing the church now in a very serious way that the lay people have a responsibility to pursue peace with their pastor. And it makes sense because if the pastor's job is to admonish us, that means he's going to correct our sin. That's not going to always feel good. And if he's to warn us about the consequences of sinful behavior, and we're in the midst of sinful behavior, sometimes if we let it, we're going to let that offend us. And we're going to make the pastor the enemy, not the devil. And so Paul's reminding us, when he admonishes you, because that is one of his responsibilities, and he courageously stands in front of you with love but with boldness and says, this is sin, then pursue peace. 
If he's supposed to lead us, and he is, I talked about that, he's supposed to lead us, that means he's going to make some decisions that maybe rub you wrong. Wouldn't be the decision that you made, it was too quick or it was too slow. He was too strong on that or too soft on that. It's a policy that you think is consistent or maybe you think is inconsistent. And Paul says when that happens, pursue peace. Do you hear me? Pursue peace. Don't pursue a private agenda. Don't pursue discord. Pursue peace. If he's to shepherd people and his flock happens to be larger than 10 people, and it is, then every once in a while, he might miss a sheep or two. Every once in a while, you might not get your hands shook. Is that the right English? When that happens, pursue peace. Don't think the shepherd doesn't care about you. And that's why I think Paul ended with this. It's because at any time, even if you are honoring his work, even if you are respecting his leadership, at any time the devil could use something to put a wedge, at any time. And you could be faithfully doing those two things, and instantly an offense happens, and you're gone. Or there's the silent treatment for a number of, of months. You get what I'm saying? Or every time you come to church and hear him preach, there's this, just this internal argument going on. That's the devil. That is not God. That is the devil. And we must pursue peace. So there, there's the responsibilities of the people and the pastor. I want to close with this, with this quote by a man by the name of F.F. F. Bruce. I think just sums up the message. Would you look at the screen? It'll make for the effective life and witness of the church and for peaceful relations among its members if its pastor is recognized and honored and his leadership followed demonstrates the traits of one who deserves to be recognized and honored by his church. You see, it's a two-way street. Pastors fulfill their responsibility and people fulfill theirs. Growing up as a preacher's kid, I would often get asked, do you like being a preacher's kid? And it was often asked with the tone of they either wanted me or expect me to say I hated it. And it's almost like many times I shock people because honestly, I answered and said, not for a minute. I loved it. Not for a minute did I hate it or dislike. I literally loved every minute of it, even if they didn't even let me drink IBC root beer because it appeared evil. Now, now, I'll just, on a, on a hot summer day, if I'm at the north part of town, I'll go by and get an IBC root beer, pop it open, walk in their living room, put my feet up on their table, and just take back a cold one. Just to make my mom mad. Because I can. It's a Romans 14 issue. Now, mind your own business. Loved every minute of being a pastor's kid. And here's one of the main reasons why. There's many things that contribute. Here's one of the main reasons why. And listen closely. Because this church has never done anything to put a bad taste in my mouth for the office and position of the pastorate. In fact, I think that one of the reasons I desire to be a pastor so much is because of how this church takes care of pastors. Not so that I could be honored, but so that I could pastor a church that has a track record of a healthy relationship with their pastor. Thank you.
on behalf of myself, thank you for wanting, for, for putting a desire, for your behavior, putting a desire in my heart to do what my dad does. I'm looking forward to giving you an opportunity to honor him, to honor my mom one more time on transition weekend. And my burden, church, is that you'll take this opportunity and you'll do it right. And then we all get to watch how God continues to bless this church because this church blessed the man of God. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed?